Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is the host of the Run Your Mouth podcast, my friend, David Melly. Welcome back to the podcast, David. It's been a long time. How are things? Good. Uh, they A lot has changed since we uh, commiserated over the uh, underwhelming Star Wars Episode Nine. <laughs> yeah, that was much simpler times back then. If that was the worst of our problems right now, things would be much better. <laughs> yeah, the world is a very different place, but but things have been good. Um, summer makes it a little easier to to get outside and, and get out of the apartment. My run run with my mask on. So. <laughs> oh, I I have to I have to like have a mask on my face and the, or on my hand and then just cover up when people come by. I, I can't keep the mask on the whole time. It's like altitude training for me i die <laughs> i have the uh the the buffs so i can just keep it around my neck oh, that's, yeah. that's been my strategy i really should have invested in that but <laughs> here we are so this week we thought we'd mix it up a little bit and run through an action adventure classic i am of course talking about 1981's indiana jones and the raiders of the lost ark which recently came onto netflix along with all the other indie films as with a usual review, we'll indulge those listeners who haven't seen the film for some reason by just warming up with a very brief spoiler-free review of the film, and then for the bulk of the cast, we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Raiders of the Lost Ark. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. Raiders of the Lost Ark stars Harrison Ford and Karen Allen, and it is written by Lawrence Kasdan, George Lucas, and Philip Kaufman, and directed by Steven Spielberg. Nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is their Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. So, David, when you pitched the idea for reviewing this movie, you stated that this was a perfect movie. What did you mean by that? Why do you think that? Um, I think uh, I, I would say that uh, it, it, my initial statement holds up pretty well to scrutiny. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, as far as the genre, you know, kind of an, an adventure movie, I, it, it doesn't get much better than this. I mean, you know, it, it hits... When I said it was a perfect movie, I mean it. It you know very much is archetypal in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it kind of has a lot of these standard elements that we now associate with summer blockbuster movies. But it also is just really well made and <laughs> paced really well, and um, 
really just hits all of the sweet spots that you want it to hit effectively, even 40 years later, like the, with, you know, a couple very minor exceptions, the effects and the, the storytelling and everything hold up really well. And, and I think it's kind of just one of those, when I said it was a perfect movie, you know, I don't necessarily mean that it is technically flawless or that it's uh, you know the (laughs) the world's um most transformative movie going experience but i think just you know for the lane that it's in it does the best possible job that you could ask of it the thing with steven spielberg is that i'm just so confident whenever he makes a movie that you're gonna have a good movie he just doesn't make bad movies in my opinion i think even the ones that aren't that good or aren't amazing are just there's a comfortability to them that they feel like those classic types of movies. And I think this is one of the best examples of that in that everything that happens, it just feels like it should happen in a movie. And that means that the movie's not, you know, it's not particularly revolutionary or anything. And it's, it's not particularly deep. There's not a whole lot that it's trying to say or anything, but it's just an incredibly well-made blockbuster. Like you're saying that you just want to watch it and you don't necessarily have to think about it for two or three hours afterwards, but it's a movie that you can watch at any time and it makes you feel good. I think it's also an incredibly fun movie. (laughs) It definitely is. And I I would just say, I think like one of the Spielberg hallmarks is just that he's not a very, uh, his version of authorship over filmmaking isn't really visually, invasive or or particularly Mm -hmm. idiosyncratic but he just you almost don't notice the direction because it's just presented so digestibly (laughs) and and that kind of is his hallmark in a way you know it it is just the way that he he kind of almost gets out of the way and lets the kind of storytelling happen naturally yeah none of his movies are particularly demanding of the audience i guess which kind of sounds like a negative i guess but i mean it in a positive in that like it's never asking you to take these huge storytelling leaps or anything like that it's just presenting you with a story and saying we're just going to tell this well we're going to shoot it well the acting is going to be at minimum passable and (laughs) we're just going to have fun with whatever it is and i mean obviously there's exceptions where he's actually trying to do something profound like Schindler's List, for example, but by and far, a lot of these PG, PG-13 movies are just pure entertainment. And I think this is a perfect example of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so when was the last time that you saw this before uh, watching it this time? Relatively recently, yeah. um, probably within the last year. I think before they went on Netflix, I think they were on Prime Video. Um, okay. And so they've uh, for a while now, they've been pretty accessible. I actually, w- when I texted you to ask about doing this was because I had watched The Last Crusade because it came on Netflix. And oh, I was okay. like, oh, these movies are so good. And they're such a, I, I think for the kind of podcasting that, that um, movie marathoners is like, a, it's a natural fit, even if it's not a yeah. contemporary movie. Um, and And I think it's, they're just fun. Yeah. And, and they're easy watches. Like I, I know a lot of us have been kind of looking for our like comfort viewing (laughs) in uh, these uncertain times. And like, if you want just kind of like a familiar, uh, you know, property to, to take down, this is, this is definitely top of the list for, for stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a classic. And I think that that's interesting because 
unlike a lot of IP property movies, you know, like Star Wars, James Bond, Mission Impossible, there's very few of these. And some of the there and the one thing that I found particularly striking watching this was that there aren't really any memorable characters outside of Indiana Jones. I feel like Indiana Jones is the IP of this movie in a way that, you know, Star Wars is an IP, but Luke Skywalker is not the reason that Star Wars is an IP. And I don't I can't think of too many other movies that are like that. I mean, it's somewhat similar to James Bond and uh, like Mission Impossible, even that's, you know, starring Tom Cruise as the the IP property. But even with those, you kind of have these uh, side characters that are very memorable. And I was surprised by how few characters other than Indiana <sighs> Jones were in this movie, because I, I haven't seen this movie again and, and again and again. I think this might be the second time I've seen it. And it's funny how well established the Indiana Jones thing is right off the bat. Um, I know we'll get into kind of spoiler territory later, but I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that as soon as you get into this movie, basically in the cold open, they kind of really hit you right over the head away of like, this is the kind of, this is Indiana Jones, you know, the whip, this is his, you know, uh, he hates snakes, all of these kind of the mythos um, yeah. <laughs> that I actually literally had to, double check when I was taking notes for this to see, to confirm that this hadn't been an adaptation of an existing intellectual property because, you know, G George Lucas has said that he wanted to do kind of a 1930s, 1940s serial type thing. But I literally was like, it feels so familiar right off the bat that um, I am almost like shocked that it was an original story and an original character at the time because they don't treat it like that they just drop you in the middle and they're kind of like yeah this guy's indiana jones he's the coolest this is his <laughs> deal he is. yeah <laughs> yeah it speaks to the confidence of the filmmaking to just be like we don't need it. there's no origin story and i mean i think there kind of is at the beginning of the second one if i remember correctly but in this one they do just plop you straight into it and there are things about the movie's universe that are established in this film that are not necessarily the same as our universe. And I think that that's all done really deftly. But before hopping into more specifics, uh, like I said, we'll just keep this super brief. Um, why don't you just rank the film out of 10? I know it's kind of silly to do that for such an iconic film, but, um, and then we'll hop into spoilers. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I have to say like, you know, uh, nine, nine point five. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, it's it's definitely up there in terms of just like all time great movies for me. Um, you know, maybe if I had to, any of the any of the complaints that I have about this movie are so minor that it almost you know doesn't feel. It feels like nitpicking to kind of go through them. I mean, frankly, right. I was in writing these notes. You know, I mean, there there are little things like you know, that we can get into. Um, I think one of the big general things is uh, there's a lot of um, white people playing other ethnicities in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, not necessarily in blackface per se, but but definitely doing broad ethnic stereotypes. Um, and, and it definitely has a little ways to go on kind of the female empowerment side of things. But you know, on the whole, it, it it holds up really well over time, all things considered. Um, and and yeah, like I said, there's just there's really not a lot to complain about. So I'll say nine, just to just to not seem too uh, 
not to skew your average too out of that. <laughs> nice. No, I mean, I'm going to do a nine two. I don't think that this is going to be a podcast where we're going to state some controversial opinion about how this movie doesn't age well or anything. Um, it ages remarkably well, both in terms of special effects, again, with there's, there's some wonky things that you're like, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, and I think a lot of our spoilers will probably be some fake complaining about nitpicks and things like that. But yeah, overall, it's, it's super enjoyable. It's really fun and funny in a way that I kind of forgot. Um, and in a way that feels like it's not a modern blockbuster. I, it doesn't have humor. The, the humor feels very natural and it doesn't feel like it undercuts any of the drama uh, like a lot of blockbusters nowadays. And I also really like the physical and intimate action set pieces. I'm sure Harrison Ford isn't doing everything, but it, it feels like he is doing the things instead of being in a green screen wire room. And that's just because this was 40 years ago. But yeah, really, hel- uh, really holds up. I think Harrison Ford is really good in this film. I don't know how good of an actor Harrison Ford is so much as how much he just kind of is Indiana Jones charm incarnate <laughs> yeah which, which I wanna, I'll talk to you about in a sec but um, yeah overall 9 out of 10 definitely recommend it's on Netflix check it out if for some reason you haven't seen it with that let's go ahead and hop into spoilers uh, I'm going to say spoilers for Raiders of the Lost Ark starting now that's my secret Captain. I'm always angry The one thing I wanted to start with is the idea of Harrison Ford as um, Indiana Jones and also as a guy who's basically the exact same character, but in space being Han Solo. (laughs) Um, Do you have a way to significantly differentiate the two or do you kind of just like assume that that's the Harrison Ford role? Because to me, they're very similar. I mean, and again, I think we we see this a lot with a lot of people like how different is Ethan Hunt from Tom Cruise, <laughs> right. um, you know, uh, or, or, you know, any, basically any character Brad Pitt has played, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, these kind of leading man types that, that frankly, I mean, you know, Harrison Ford kind of was not one of the first, you know, cause obviously there were, um, iconic leading men, uh, before him, but I think yeah. one of the first to sort of, usher in the modern blockbuster era of this idea of like, you know, Harrison Ford's name being on the bill sells a movie, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and that was something that, you know, in kind of the golden age Hollywood studios was, was a thing. Um, and then I think that people, people really do kind of went more towards directors and, and the idea that, you know, you would see a movie for the director on the, on the poster, but yeah, I mean, frankly, the, Han Solo, Harrison Ford, like to to think that like, you know, in 1980, Empire Strikes Back comes out and in 1981, (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out, you know, it's like this guy is killing it. And he's so he's charming in a frankly, in a way that like is unparalleled, like a LeBron Jamesian level of like he is just at the top of his game in terms of just embodying charisma without coming off as a dick and i think there are a couple like moments in this movie where he does kind of deliberately come off yeah i was about to say (laughs) i would say like the the harrison the han solo indiana jones parallels to me are like the fact that he is a like he's the ultimate skeptic like he doesn't Mm -hmm. like he's kind of jaded and over it and then you know 
kind of has to come to terms with these like forces bigger than himself. And then the other kind of side of it is like, he's pretty incompetent (laughs) as both characters. (laughs) Like he doesn't necessarily do a lot of like, you know, kind of this idea that Indiana Jones is the American James Bond is, is something that gets floated around a lot, but it's like James Bond, like, is supposed to be good at everything and like he can always like he always has a fix because he just knows and he can just do it and like indiana is pretty bad at everything (laughs) is pretty like is always just like in trouble um getting out by the skin of his teeth again very han solo kind of similar deal like he never seems like he's in control of the situation he seems like he is just scrambling (laughs) in many cases literally yeah, like just a character who is clearly just he he's it's not like he's an idiot or anything like that, but he he doesn't necessarily have a one up on anybody that he's fighting. Right. He, he's always just kind of like getting by. And you can see that in the way that Harrison Ford like reacts to situations too, where he'll just sort of pare down a situation and be like, oh, crap, I have to deal with this or of course there's a big boulder coming towards me or of course there's a giant Nazi mechanic who's going to beat the shit out of me while I'm trying to take over this plan. Like he's, he, he just has that like, not this again kind of attitude that I think is part of that charm that like he almost doesn't want to be there. And there's very little suspension of disbelief required really. Like for a movie that does yeah. have fantastical elements, you know, it's like, it's it's easy to buy pretty much everything they're selling you in terms of, you know, Indiana Jones's capability and skill set. He's mm-hmm. not nothing he does seems superhuman or like impro- particularly improbable. Like you, you talk about like the hero shield, like sure, like he like doesn't get shot in a lot of situations where like he could have gotten shot, but like a lot of the times like he is getting the hell beat out of him. He is like, you know, he's not like a master of like split second timing or anything like that. Like it's, it kind of just seems like he's along for this like roller coaster ride the same way the audience is, you know? I would say the one exception to that is that he just has a whip that can magically just like wrap around things with perfect succession and always with the most sharp, clear sound effect. Of a whip that so clearly was added after the fact. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the people in this movie know how a whip works. Like you, you can't just like throw it around a, a tree branch and it wraps around tightly, perfectly, so you can swing across a ravine. But that's well, fine. and the thing that's so funny is like he never really he never whips people. And I have to believe yeah. that like that's <laughs> that's because like he's supposed to be the hero, and that would be like a horrifyingly like brutal thing to do yeah (laughs) it's like he never uses the whip as a weapon he only ever uses it as like a tool it's like a (laughs) grappling gun for the 1930s or whatever basically yeah and it's like it it never you know it's like the uh the the wonder woman lasso of truth or whatever it's like she's constantly you know wrapping people up in it and using it kind of in (laughs) fights and stuff and he like is really only takes out the whip when he has to like jump across <laughs> a like yeah. pole or grab onto something at the bottom of a truck or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought surprised me about the movie is how similar it is to Star Wars in a lot of ways. And I think that might just be being a blockbuster in the 80s, you know, but there is so much 
I mean, it's not that surprising, I guess, because it was created by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg is in the Lucas family or whatever. But there are like even the music is so similar in some of the the musical cues for the romantic parts of the movie, um, how Indy interacts with his love interest, kind of even the the structure of these people going from place to place to place. All of that se- seemed very Star Wars to me, which is interesting because like you said, there's nothing really fantastical about this movie except for the last 15 minutes where it gets super fantastical out of nowhere. But it is interesting to me that this one comes after star Wars because it feels more like star Wars with the, the skin stripped down. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, going back to the whole Spielberg thing, like it does make me wish that George Lucas had kind of like handed the keys to the star Wars, not, you know, fully but like i kind of do and and you know and lawrence kasdan who who wrote the screenplay for this uh helped write um empire strikes back and and i think also the force awakens um but it does make you realize like clearly what george lucas is good at is like storytelling and kind of like guiding the ship from that perspective Mm -hmm. and it does make you kind of want like imagine if like Steven Spielberg had directed the prequels, kind of like taking the nuggets of like what made these stories so compelling and great and then kind of handing the kind of technical keys to people who are at the top of their game. I mean, like one of the things you mentioned the score, like literally my two my like two macro takeaway notes on my like sheet here are uh, Harrison Ford. So charming. John Williams genius. Like, and it's like you could say that about either movie, but it is like it really is yeah. like the, the those two things carry so much of this film <laughs> and and it is a credit to kind of somebody like George Lucas to recognize, you know, kind of the people around him who made the Star Wars the success it was and say like, well, let's just keep doing this. <laughs> you know, yeah. people like this, so why not? Um yeah, I always feel like George Lucas kind of gets a bad rap just because of how vitriolic the hate for the prequels can be and things like that. But what you're saying, I, I agree with that. He's really good at coming up with the concept and not so much the execution. Like there's a lot of really, really interesting and cool things in those prequels. And maybe if he didn't throw all of the ideas on the screen for all that CGI crap that is kind of annoying in the prequels. Like a lot of that stuff is really cool designs. And I have to assume that he had a hand in the design of all of those creatures and the design of the worlds and everything. And you can see that in here, like why give Indiana Jones a whip? I don't think that's a thing. I don't think archaeologists traditionally carry around whips. That's like a character trait. He does so and little really archaeology cool in this movie and any oh, of yeah. his movies. <laughs> I mean, he's not a particularly good archaeologist. He destroys everything. Like, <laughs> ruins all sorts of things. It is one of those things where, like, if anything, he comes off more like a detective, which, like, again, kind of goes back to the, you know, the James Bond or, you know, even like 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 the Dick Tracy kind of elements of, of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, the, the kind of, I said before mythos, but like that kind of is what it is, is like a lot of what George Lucas does well is like myth making, you know, it's like this idea that we can, you know, create these things that are kind of emotionally resonant with people for whatever reason in these kind of enduring ways. 
and and again like i think we talked about this with the star wars episodes too but like it really is just a hero's journey like it's a lot of the same beats of kind of it's not a complicated story storytelling from the dawn of time you know and and it's just that it was in the 70s and 80s he was the guy who kind of best figured out how to uh (laughs) give that to people um in an effective way yeah and i think what i really like about this one specifically and i'm kind of glad that we're talking about raiders of the lost ark on its own instead of like the indiana jones franchise because i think the more that you get into the mythos the less interesting it is because it is more fun to just kind of have him do these you know little self-contained journeys and he has personality and he's referencing all these things but like do I really care about how he got the whip and how he got the hat and what's actually in that bunker at the end and stuff? No. And like anytime they've tried to, I mean, one of the interesting things about like the Indiana Jones movies is for as successful a franchise as they are. And you, you know, you alluded to this early, like there hasn't been, you know, they have there hasn't been an attempt to create a Indiana Jones cinematic universe, <laughs> you know, right. like it's kind of, uh, and when they have done like, you know, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, those were not that well received. The new, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, people hated. Um, it really kind of goes to goes back to what we were saying before, where it's like, I think maybe the secret sauce of this is just like letting Harrison Ford be Harrison Ford, <laughs> and like even more so, like like Star Wars is its own thing outside of the the core actors, um, mm-hmm. you know that that carried the the first three movies, um, and and this more than anything else is a kind of a a singularly driven vehicle <laughs> or which is like weird to me that they are looking to do a fifth Indiana Jones. And I mean, granted they are bringing Harrison Ford back, but he's now freaking so old, old. <laughs> and he keeps hurting himself. You're like, oh, dude, yeah. come on, man. Like you're going to get in trouble at some point. Like you're not on that like weird, you know, Scientology juice that Tom Cruise is on where yeah. he can just be immortal. <laughs> and then he will kill himself eventually. Like we've already conceded that fact, but I don't think Harrison Ford needs to kill himself eventually. But like, is this a property that warrants additional films in your opinion? Like, are you excited for a fifth Indiana Jones? I love these films, but like, I will say to me, this is very much head and shoulders the best. Like, this is the only one that I would say that I revisit regularly. Um, I've seen Last Crusade a couple times, honestly, just because Sean Connery is fun. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think I've maybe only seen Temple of Doom like one and a half times. Um, and I think, and I only saw crystal skull once, you know, it's not like, it's not like star Wars, at least for me personally, but I think for a lot of people, like, you know, people aren't kind of like lifelong diehard Indiana Jones fans. They're kind of just like, Oh, the, those were a good couple movies from the eighties. You know, I really liked those, you know, (laughs) like it doesn't become core to their identity the way it has with some of these other franchises. Right. So do you think that like somebody could play the next Indiana Jones does this because we've been talking so much about how Indiana Jones is like the IP property is so closely tied to Harrison Ford. There's no ICU. There's no, oh, what about all these other characters in this other part of the world? It's all Harrison Ford. So even if he ushers somebody in, do you think there's anybody that can revitalize, quote unquote, the Indiana Jones brand? I mean, I think in some sense it's like yes and no like in some sense this is the kind of movie that is you know ripe for a reboot um and Mm -hmm. in terms of it just is this kind of the character is so clearly defined in terms of their beats 
um, outside of just like Harrison Ford charm that you could very easily see someone else um, stepping into that role. But I don't think it's necessary or, or needed, you know? Um, yeah. I think you could just as easily, and again, this is kind of one of my like big macro pet peeves with like movie making right now is that like people are so reliant on existing intellectual property that it's like, right. you can make it, you know, an action adventure movie about an Indiana Jones type and just call it something else. <laughs> and like, you know, it would be just as good a movie, you know? Uh, and yeah, I, I, I do know you, you had wanted to ask about a casting for a future Indiana Jones. And I did have an idea that I was interested to run by you, but, uh, Oh shoot. Yeah. I'm interested. I mean, the, the easy one that people always say is Chris Pratt, which I don't dislike Chris Pratt. I'm not like in love with him, but I don't think he has, the same level of being able to like, like he's a very good leading man for a comedy, but I don't think that the Indiana Jones movies are first and foremost, a comedy, like even in Jurassic world and guardians of the galaxy, Chris Pratt is more of like a comedic force that I don't think works directly well with the Indiana Jones property. So I'm interested to see. say. I would also say like, I, again, kind of like call it something else. It's like, Guardians of the Galaxy is Indiana Jones in space. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I mean, right, like yeah. he's playing that character already. His name is just not uh, Indiana Jones; it's Peter Quill. And like, I think, like we kind of talked about, like Harrison Ford is one of those few, like maybe once in a lifetime people that, like, basically people want to see play Han Solo or Harrison Ford or right. Indiana Jones. And I think a lot of the types of people I you hear this all the time with James Bond casting where people you know people talk about like tom hardy or um idris elba and you're like well these people kind of already i i kind of want to see an actor that i really like that could come into his own or her own in this kind of context um rather than just take someone who has kind of proven the ability to do this kind of thing big blockbuster you know leading man like that's not that like to be like, oh, Chris Pratt could play Indiana Jones. It's like, yeah, obviously, you know, we, we know that already based on the box offices of his other movies, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. And so my suggestion, which I was trying to think, I was like, all right, who is somebody who's really charming, but then also has that kind of like um, mix of like confidence, but then also like bamboozledness that like indiana jones brings um and so the person i thought of which i think the more that i think about it i think also would fill out the kind of professorial side of indiana jones well and now i really am on board for this is uh lakeith stanfield i think he is long overdue for a like true leading man role Mm -hmm. and i think he has I think he's the kind of person that like could do the Indiana Jones thing, but still make it kind of like a new and unique spin on it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so I like thought of that one when you sent over, um, you know, this question and like the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, this is now a hill I'm going to die on where I want him to be the next Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Lakeith Sanfield is a good go-to for just so many things. Like I, it, people are always like, Oh, make him the Joker, make him the Riddler in the new Batman movies, which like, I don't care, but I, I agree. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it also gives him the opportunity that he hasn't quite had yet. 
Like he does play a lot of very good roles. He's amazing in Atlanta and in Get Out. But all of those, like he doesn't have that sort of swashbuckling adventure role yet, but he could definitely pull it off and you can see that. He's confident, he's charming, but he also does have that, I, I, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it's sort of that like goober personality, like an attractive yeah. goober personality. You can see him like, doing the classroom scenes too, you know? Yeah, like, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's a good one. Um, the other, I think if you wanted to do like a little more of like a grizzled, like kind of like an older Indiana Jones, the other one I thought of was Jake Gyllenhaal would be good. Um, yeah. But again, it's like he's kind of almost like past that career wise. Yeah, he's a little too also like neurotic, I think, in, in that like his performances. There's they're so he's Jake Gyllenhaal playing a character that I wonder, like, I don't know how well that would do with like a, a something so well known IP as uh, Indiana he, Jones. I, he would maybe put a little too much of an intense spin on it, whereas like Indiana Jones is a little more easygoing. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's just like, I think, for example, if he did the Green Goblin in the Spider-Man movies, it would be so weird to be like, this is Jake Gyllenhaal doing the Willem Dafoe Green Goblin. Whereas when you give him something like Mysterio, where he can, you know, there's not been another Mysterio, he kind of becomes that character. And then it's like, Mysterio is now Jake Gyllenhaal more than the other way around. And it's it's kind of weird. But I, I feel like, I don't know if I would love to see him in something so defined by somebody else's performance. If that makes sense. Did you did you have a uh, casting idea for? I didn't. No, I I just asked the question because I'm a bad podcast host. I, <laughs> I'm the guest. I'm supposed to come up with the answers. You come yeah. up with the questions. So <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I really like Lakeith Sanfield. I I think that's a really inspired pick, and it, it makes sense in that he's also like a well known name, but not in that lane. So it like provides us with a new star. And again. Call it something else. Like, let's just give Lakeith Stanfield an action adventure franchise. Like, yeah, I mean, that would be ideal. You know, we could totally cut out the middleman of we have to have Harrison Ford kill himself on a bridge again so that we can usher in a new age of people. But I mean, that's just not how Hollywood works, I guess, is the thing yeah. <laughs> onto that dumb thing. But it is, uh, I guess, the uh, if we're talking about enduring, uh, actors i think the the exact opposite of that is poor karen allen <laughs> like yeah who the hell is that <laughs> like was she in anything she was in i think her claim to fame was um animal house before this oh okay and she's really she's really watchable and compelling and like i think her character i so i was tr- i got this in my head midway through the movie and then i was trying to keep track and like she doesn't she's comes off like her her personality and her vibe is like this like strong badass female character but like in terms of her actual action she's mostly just like captured or in trouble or in danger and she doesn't really do anything she like shoots a couple guys in the plane scene but then she gets stuck in the plane and he has to like rescue her from that so it's like she doesn't really get like you know helping credit (laughs) from that but um she reminds me of leia if Leia didn't have like an impact on the plot of Star Wars, like she she has a lot of that confidence and that I'm a woman of action kind of thing. And she goes toe to toe intellectually with Indiana Jones in the same way that Leia does with Han Solo. But she doesn't like she doesn't have a plot like she's not captured by Ewoks or whatever and has her own thing. Granted, that's the third film. So like maybe that's a problem, too, is that I don't believe she shows up in any of the other movies. Um, well, she shows up in uh, Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull, right? Yeah, that doesn't count. Uh, but yeah, no, she's gone from the other ones. But it's so funny, like 
speaking of like a weird 1980 thing that like would probably never be in a movie today, but like her character introduction, I think is like really strong at setting up like who she is. Cause she like wins that like drinking contest against yeah. that guy that, that was kind of like a perfect, like, again, like very kind of Steven, Steven Spielberg, Spielberg thing of like a, you know, show not tell, like they just mm-hmm. like, she enters the scene and kind of is immediately this like, oh, she's like, is this girl that can like hang with the boys and like hold her own and she's tough. And like that, that was a great way to kind of like set up who this character was right off the bat. Um, and I, I just wish there was like actually more like substance to follow up with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then again, it's like we were saying, it's like how much does Indiana Jones really do either? <laughs> to, right. Like, yeah. They're, they're more, this everyone's more along. <laughs> more or less along for the ride so to speak yeah. like i think the the most competent character might be sala so <laughs> yeah he's got his own problems right yeah um, well that i love john reese davies i think he's so charming in this movie but he's charming in that like he's a welsh actor playing like a weird egyptian stereotype <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's not great but. It's not great, but he's a fun sidekick, you know, like him, him as a character, like, you know, actually very James Bond thing, like just to have the kind of like the local guy who's friends with mm-hmm. the main character for some reason. Um, they had an adventure that you don't know about, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. and and he is, you know, a lot of the stuff in that kind of sets up the early plot structure of the movie, he's good at kind of delivering and shepherding without it you know being like really coming off as like big exposition dumps too yeah the thing that's missing for me though when like the james bond comparison is that like there seems to be a john rise davies character davies character in each of the films and those ones are different but there is usually like a central team around the main character like you've got q and m and Money There's penny, just I like think. random old British guys that show up yeah. <laughs> to the university where he teaches in literally every movie. And it's just like, Indiana, go find this thing. <laughs> like, like you're on your own. You're you're the team. You go. Which is it's interesting to say the least that like it works too with like out having that many characters. And it also means that there's no subplots or anything in the movie. There's no fat on the sides of the film. Like it's all Indiana Jones. You're following Indiana Jones the whole time. Like, I don't know if there's a scene where Indiana Jones isn't in it. No, it's it's very that kind of everyman vibe. But also, I just like I kept thinking about I'm like, what is it like to be in like Indiana Jones's class? Yeah, let's get into these nitpicks here. Disappearing for like months at a time and like comes back with like all beat. Like imagine if you had a professor who just like for like a pretty boring subject, like, like was just like going on adventures that like you just be like oh he's not going to be in class this week or next week but then he's going to come back and have like a black eye (laughs) and you're like (laughs) um what is going on in the beginning he has that line that's like oh you know i'll be in my office tuesday but not wednesday and is that to assume that like he's leaving on wednesday but he expects to be back by next monday or something yeah yeah like the, the timing of this movie is a little weird, I think. Very just unclear like, how long this movie yeah. takes place over, um, like many movies from this this era. Um, he definitely, I will say, I appreciated the reversal of the um, hot, the hot girl with glasses is not hot 
um, trope, uh, <laughs> like, and, and they acknowledge it, you know, cause like all, you know, all of his students are like trying to fuck him or whatever, which like, again, yeah. is like one of those things they're like, would this be allowed in a 2020 <laughs> uh, motion yeah. picture? But like, yeah, it literally is like handsome, rugged, like strapping Harrison Ford and they just put glasses on him. It's like, oh, now he's a professor. This makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's just like the Clark Kent thing. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's a Superman also, thing. Also, the, the, going back to the timeline thing or like how long it takes place is, is Marion like pretty drunk for a large portion of this movie? Yeah. Right? If she, she just downed a whole bunch of vodka or whatever shots at the beginning and then the next day she's in Cairo and then she gets drunk again in the tent with, uh, well, it's also the thirties and then go from the U S to Nepal to Cairo. Yeah. To Greece. <laughs> I, this movie might take place over six months. <laughs> like, True, yeah. Know? Like, I mean, I guess they did have planes, but still like, like uh, imagine, I mean, it, I, it probably takes, several days of travel just to like get to the himalayas now in 2020 like yeah <laughs> and he just like kind of goes to pick up marion and like take her to cairo with him and it's like oh, i'm gonna can we swing by nepal on my way to uh egypt <laughs> like and everyone follows him like the nazis are following him to all these places um i still couldn't figure out I wrote this down as a genuine question, not like a nitpick. Like, why do they go to Greece at the end? Like, where are they in the final scene of the movie? My understanding is it's like a secret Nazi island, right? So was there, there wasn't anything like specific about like, we have to take the Holy Grail here for like, or the, that's the other movie. Uh, We have to take the MacGuffin here. Uh, (laughs) uh, For like, specifically like, this island is the face melting island. It's just like, this is our secret Nazi island. My understanding, it was like, let's test this before sending it to Hitler to make sure it works. Which good call on their part. I mean, honestly, (laughs) they would have been fucked if they showed this to Hitler and then his face just melted, which I put down. So now that we're at this part and, and uh, we have plenty more to talk about, I'm sure. But the thing that stuck with me through this movie that I like wrote down for you to to answer is like are these movies christian because in some sense both raiders of the lost ark and the last crusade are basically like god is real defying god will get you killed all of this like you know indiana (laughs) jones is this skeptical guy who then like is constantly coming face to face with like pure divine intervention like and like it's in one sense you'd be like okay these movies are very like overtly christian but then you also think about it where it's like and like in temple of doom like it's the same beats but with like the you know it all takes place in india and like with a lot of like hindu mythology and and again the george lucas star wars thing you're like is this george lucas kind of being like christianity is the same as the force in terms of just like convenient (laughs) magic that we can use for our fantasy movies like (laughs) yeah i'm inclined to say it's the the latter especially given that steven spielberg is very jewish um i could see that it's like a i'm sure there are religious overtones in the movie and that there's some some vague commentary there on religion and 
I think it's more just like so much of ancient civilizations were surrounded by religion and a focus on religion that like you can't really have ancient artifacts that are quote unquote mystical or supernatural without it being obliquely tied to religion. If that makes sense. Like, well, in a weird way, it's like, I, cause I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder like what, if there was like boycotts of this movie for like, but then I'm like, in a weird way they were, they did it brilliantly where they were like, Christians can't be mad at this movie because we're saying it's all real. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's maybe trivializing, their religion and turning it into like a plot device but like um it isn't necessarily like blasphemy which is like an interesting line to toe yeah yeah i mean i think it's crazy that it just goes full supernatural in the be you know in the last 15 minutes because at the start of this movie there's nothing to indicate that we're living in a world where the supernatural is actually smelting powers yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i guess the monkey is pretty uh you know prescient or whatever like cognitive cognitive conscious yeah (laughs) monkey is is very aware of like the fact that it's an actual thing or whatever so it's doing some hollywood stuff or whatever but like other than that everything is like we've said very grounded in reality so it does seem sort of weird for them to just be like oh yeah by the way God's real. Here's the Ten Commandments, and here's the Army of the Souls and Ghosts of the Dead, and um, I, it makes for an effective scene. Though, how did that hold up for you? I mean, it's kind of, it's you know, it's almost enjoyable as the the like, oh, this is like what effects in the '80s were like. <laughs> um, I would actually say like the the like face melting off scene didn't quote-unquote bother me as much as uh some of the fake lightning in the scene before that yeah because like face melting is not necessarily like a thing that like there's not like a natural version of that um but then like some of the like some of the basically just like bad special effects to approximate real life things honestly like those strike me as worse because you kind of know what they're supposed to look like and everything in the climax is supposed to be fantastical anyways. And, and again, kind of goes back to like the roots of all of this where it's like, it kind of is from like, you know, it, it's comic booky or, or, you know, um, almost, uh, like Saturday morning cartoon, you know, there's kind of, there's an yeah. element of, um, camp and, and, um, silliness to the whole movie. And so like, the you know effects at the end being kind of silly like i think kind of is almost par for the course in that sense too yeah i do wonder how terrifying the face melting scene was at the time because this is a pg movie and this was before pg-13 movies were a thing but this is a movie where somebody's face explodes and honestly when i watched it i i laughed i felt bad that i was laughing because i was like this is supposed to be like this huge climactic moment but it was it was silly and it didn't ruin the movie by any means but it was sort of like oh that's adorably funny looking (laughs) that like you know (laughs) i have i mean i have to think like because i can't imagine it came off as that real even in the 80s but i do think that there's like a little uh, at least from my understanding of you know movie rating systems back in the day i think there's like a little bit of it where they're like 
well, it's Nazis, you know, like, I think you're allowed to be a little gratuitously violent if it is established that, like, those are yeah. the bad guys. Um, and, and I think that they, uh, I will say, like, that the creepy Nazi guy is still, to, like, that's one of the things I remember from watching those movies as a kid, like, thinking that guy was really creepy. And he's still really creepy. And like, um, you know, modern day. Although one thing I did notice, again, talk about nitpicky, but like one thing I noticed about him, which I think was so funny is the character is like balding, but you can very clearly tell that they, that the actor is not balding and that they instead like shaved the front part of his head to make it look like he was balding, which is just like such a weirdly specific like, I guess they're, like, literally, like, oh, this guy is supposed to be, like, old and creepy. But, like, that's such a – it's such a strange specific to, like, you know, and not to shave his whole head or to, you know, dye his hair gray or put a wig on him. Just to, like, shave enough of his head to make it look like he's sort of losing his hair is, like, such a strange <laughs> thing to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. The the thing in the, um, the finale that I also thought was funny was that, like, each of the three main bad guys – dies in a different way like how do these powers work of this thing like do they just decide a way that you're gonna die and one of them melts your face the other one explodes your head the other one like strips away your skin or whatever it is it's (laughs) that that whole final scene is like it's it's hokey and silly but it, it does still work i think and again like i do think there's part of it that's just like you know if we're killing nazis like we can do whatever the hell we want the people will be on board yeah (laughs) he's gonna be like they didn't deserve that yeah it is very uh strange the other thing that i think had to was either the worst acting i've ever seen or the worst adr i've ever seen or both but um the boat captain um in the and i will say this movie is very well paced for the most part but i do think the kind of boat scenes once the arc is loaded onto the ship like those kind of like drag a little bit (laughs) like that's kind of what i'm like okay let's get to the you know the actual final confrontation but um the boat captain who i believe is named katanga um is very clearly dubbed by a white person i think (laughs) Um, his voice and his persona do not match in the slightest Um, and it's very kind of one of those cannot be unseen things. Also, like, again, talking about maybe some of the things that don't hold up about this movie, like, it does seem that you're kind of just not supposed to trust him because he's African. Like, there's no real reason to believe his untrustworthiness aside from, like, him being ethnic, which is, like, not great, um, to say the least. But but that everything in, about that sequence was just strange to me from start to finish. Yeah, that that is definitely the weakest part of the film, like the transition from getting to the the like car chase, which I think is actually pretty cool for a car chase. I've been on record as saying that like most car chases are really lame and boring, but this one's actually fun. I think that the the truck chase we could spend a whole podcast episode on like i think that's one of the like single best action sequences in like cinema history well it's the physicality of it like and how focused everything is like you always know what's going on and things are changing the whole time 
And Steven Spielberg does a really good job at like holding the camera on the thing that you need to be looking at at the time and not really letting go. So like you watch Indiana Jones go from the back part or the front part of the car to the back by going underneath. And all of that is really well done, I think. But the transition from that to the ultimate climax, which again, doesn't necessarily hold up that well, that, that, whole part is a little like okay yeah yeah let's Although go it does give us i will say maybe my favorite line from this movie when uh <laughs> she's like helping him with his wounds and uh he he says uh it's not the years it's the mileage yeah <laughs> um, i'm definitely gonna you know use that for an instagram post about like being tired after a long run or something like that <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a good that's one of those you're like damn it harrison you did it again you charming bastard <laughs> What's your favorite moment in the film? We can go ahead and like wrap it up with that. Probably. Um, That's a good question. Uh, I know like, I don't want to steal yours possibly, but like the, the classic one that everyone talks about is when there's the big scary swordsman um, and, and Indiana just shoots him (laughs) (laughs) is, is uh, that's a great one. Um, But, but I think if I had to choose, a moment in terms of like was just totally sticks in your mind in terms of being just like a great, well-constructed scene. Um, the snake room pit thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I don't like snakes. I'm not like, you know, particularly phobic of them, but like that scene is scary as hell. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those snakes, I looked, looked it up, this up at some point where um they use sort of a mix of real and and rubber snakes for that scene it's done well enough where it looks like it's a room full of snakes it scares me every time (laughs) um (laughs) you do you know it is kind of one of those classic indiana jones scenes where like it seems like everything's going right and he figured it out and they're gonna get the holy grail and then like all at the end it's just like you know (laughs) the nazis just get it anyways and again, like even just the ending of the scene, how they kind of get out by smashing the the statue through the wall, like that is kind of one of those moments where like, oh, you know, Indiana Jones is a smart, resourceful guy who you root for and who knows how to get out of these, you know, kind of scrapes, but he doesn't do it in a like superhuman way. Like he kind of just figured out a pretty logical thing to do yeah. and it kind of made sense in the context. Like it kind of was one of those... I think a lot of this movie, part of why this, why I say this movie is paced so well is because I think it really effectively sets up a lot of these like little mini scenes that, that are really compelling in and of themselves, but don't necessarily feel like they're just kind of like bridging you to the next part of the plot. Um, and, and that was, that's, a, that's one of my favorite ones. I think the movie's really good at giving you problem and solution very quickly. So it's like, here's the problem, here's the solution, and it's entertaining and it's creative and you don't necessarily predict what's going to happen. So I think that that's one of the ways that it it does a really good job at just like keeping the momentum of the film. But yeah, I mean, I I think the snake thing is really cool too. Um, I did, so the the scene where he kind of like first falls down and it's face-to-face with the cobra, he's actually face-to-face with a real cobra which I just read about recently, which is terrifying, but there's a plate of glass in front of him or whatever. But even so, I mean, just using real effects like that, like 
again, I don't know how good of an actor Harrison Ford is. Maybe he's just really scared of a snake at that moment. Like, well, and both him and Karen Allen, like, I think part of why that the tension in that scene is so high and effective is that they both seem really scared. <laughs> Maybe that is yeah. because they're literally being put in a room with a bunch of snakes. <laughs> but, um, the, you know, I think that that that. Yeah, the there's definitely um, a, a realism to that scene and a lot of the scenes. I mean, the um, one of the ones we didn't talk about, which is also a great kind of mini little action sequence, is the plane with the guy who um, gets bl- chopped up by the blades. Um, yeah. That's another, like again, like great Spielberg action scene. And sorry, I know we're supposed to be wrapping up, but there's so much good stuff to talk about in this movie. But like... What um, do I have to do? It's quarantine, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, the the plane scene where there's all of these different elements happening at once, but you never get lost in the action. You know, there's yeah. this, um, there's the mechanic, Indiana deals with him. Then there's the big, scary, ripped guy. Guys drive up in the truck and Marion shoots them down. Marion gets trapped in the plane. There's the fire. You know, everything kind of gets played out very linearly. But at the same time, a lot is happening, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. And again, just I mean, this. If anything, I feel like we're just being too positive. But like, it's just it's just really good, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the thing that I think is funny about that scene with the plane is how when you compare it to something like basically any blockbuster that we have nowadays, how kind of pathetically tiny that that sequence seems, right? Like you would never go to like a Marvel movie, for example, and have one of the defining action scenes be Indiana Jones moving on a slow moving plane and fighting one dude. Like that doesn't, that on its face is like not thrilling. And we would never get that because, you know, they're filming all Everything of those. Everything has been heightened and over time. Studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's Captain America on like, I think there is a scene where he fights a guy on a plane, but the plane is literally a bomb going towards, uh, America and it's in the sky or whatever. Like, so I think that it's crazy that that film still works or that scene still works 40 years later, even though it's so small and self-contained. And it, it is just a testament to Steven Spielberg being able to get action and coherent action, I think is the main thing that like, you know, what's happening and you know that the plane is moving and he never lets you forget that that it's going somewhere and there's stakes and stuff. So yeah, that's a great scene. Um, my favorite scene is the one that you mentioned. I just, I thought it was so funny. The him getting him shooting the dude and the fact that it was not really planned. Like they did have an elaborate whole set piece where he was going to fight the guy with swords, but then Harrison Ford wasn't feeling well. So somebody was just like, well, he's got a gun. Why doesn't he just shoot him? And he did that. And I knew it was coming again. I haven't seen this movie that many times, but I knew it was coming. So I was like, I'm ready for it. It's going to be a little cute, but I'm ready for it. And then what happened, just his facial expression where he's just, I don't like fuck you and just shoots him. was so funny. Like I laughed out loud watching this alone. Well, and then also almost, you know, again, we talked about the very beginning and maybe this kind of brings it full circle where it's like, this movie doesn't ask you to suspend your disbelief. Yeah. You know, again, except for the scene with the the arc, but you in so many of these types of movies, you know, you have moments like that where you're like, why wouldn't you just shoot him? And then but then in this movie, he actually does just shoot him (laughs) and it kind of it lends credibility to everything that's happening because it does kind of feel like there's not there isn't like this like, oh, heroism for heroism's sake, you know, performative element of it. Everyone is 
reacting pretty logically to the circumstances as they're presented. Um, we talked a lot about the realism of like, you know, this movie overall, like one of the things I put in my notes, I was, I was looking through is like a lot of the stunt work in this movie looks like it really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, you know, whether, you know, obviously some of this stuff is kind of movie making magic, but like, I think a lot of this is just like throwing guys out of trucks, you know, (laughs) like, and, and that is, again, it's like, it kind of makes it very easy to buy into a movie like this because you're not really being asked to, to, you know, buy into this crazy, you know, heightened realism. It's just regular realism, but just packaged in an enjoyable way, you know? I think we need more movies like this, this type of like archaeology adventure exploring. And I mean, I guess I can see why white people exploring ancient cultures of random international things is, you know, you got to tread lightly with that. But I do think that there is so many opportunities to make these really cool and on like boots on the ground type of movie where there's just somebody doing these cool things. And the only other one I can think of is the mummy, which is like not nearly as good as Indiana Jones, but it has that same tomb Raiders kind of a similar. Yeah. um, Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the best movie that I can think of in terms of like, um, this kind of thing, but in a more modern context is uh, Casino Royale that, mm. you know, I mean, I guess that's, that movie's 15 years old at this point, but um, you know, <laughs> it, it kind of did take James Bond back to a place of, you know, none of these, we don't have to deal with like, you know, a nuke at every moment or, you know, somebody yeah. threatening to, you know, end the world in some kind of crazy way. Like we can have these very, you know, human level conflicts and still have compelling storytelling. Uh, I, I mean, I think it, it does very much trade on Harrison Ford's charisma, but I think the general yeah. idea is something that people can get behind and, and actually, the other end of that spectrum um, is uh, something that we can maybe talk about in the point two section. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the myth using kind of our existing myths to tell stories, you know, kind of in a modern context, but with all these ancient contexts, I, I think is generally a, a, you know, good and effective way to reimagine mm-hmm. some of these big, stories you know i think i'm always a sucker for like when they take a like do a modern spin on a shakespeare play (laughs) you know like she's the man or something like that but it's like you know if anything like uh, um oh brother where art thou was kind of that was the the odyssey myth yeah you know in a modern context like i think that that's part of part of this in a way that i that i i do wish we could like you know, if we're going to steal existing IP all the time, like let's steal like really old IP. <laughs> so it feels fresh from like at least a slightly different standpoint. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so this is uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think great film. Would really love to start seeing movies like this again. I think I've used a lot of quarantine to see older movies and I don't want to be that like jaded person that's like, they don't make them like they used to. But they don't make movies like this anymore. <laughs> it's just a different, and I mean, some, you know, I, I love movies now still. I, I love many of the Marvel movies. That's just always a really easy comparison, but there's just not these kind of boots on the ground, big budget, 
movies that are for adults, but also can be watched by children kind of movies. It's, it's always fantastical, high concept stuff, or it's let's remake the Lion King again, you know, and even, you know, bringing it back to, uh, <laughs> our my first podcast appearance it's like the closest we have to that is like the fast and furious movies now yeah. but those movies are now so blown out of proportion that they're like they're more less realistic than half of the superhero movies out there so. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah Hobbs and shaw was less realistic than this and there's face melting in this yeah so. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching as we have a lot of time to do that. Uh, David, what have you been watching? So I've been trying to uh, I've been revisiting a lot of old stuff. And and I uh, actually did say before that uh, I I successfully introduced my parents to Schitt's Creek, which is just a delightful, wonderful, positive show. If you haven't seen that. Um, I will say on the other end of the spectrum, um, two of the uh, Disney Plus platform movies that I have watched recently were uh, I saw that uh, on this feed uh, (laughs) as a subscriber and fan of movie marathoners, um, the (laughs) Artemis Fowl episode came out. Um, And I knew that that was going to be bad, but I did read those books and love those books when I was a kid. Um, So I'm like, all right, well, I'll watch the movie so I can then listen to the episode of Monty talking about it. Um, and let me tell you, audience, it was as bad, if not worse, than I expected. <laughs> it is yes. so horrible. Um, and then the other thing that I had never gotten around to, but watched because it was on Disney Plus, was the um, Percy Jackson sequel, The Sea of Monsters. Oh, I watched that recently, too. I also like those books. And uh, that's what I was talking about with, like, they make a valiant attempt um, to sort of do like, you know, let's do a modern spin on the Greek myths, which I think is a really good concept, but like mm-hmm. that movie was fucking horrible. <laughs> um, and oh, so, uh, I like the first one. The first one was fine, but um, yeah, those, uh, those were maybe two less illustrious um, point two additions. I will say, you, everyone, all the listeners should, bo- should watch Artemis Fowl and should listen to the Artemis Fowl episode because it is honestly impressive in how bad that movie is. <laughs> like it is yeah. a baffling, it is a fascinating movie in how bad it is. And I won't go on from that because you can just listen to the whole episode, but um, it is, it's truly lives up to the hype in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't like, I don't know how I could oversell how like baffling the movie was from just like, it did not even feel like a movie. Like it wasn't a a bad movie in the way that movies are bad. It was a bad movie in the way that I don't know, like a commercial is not a movie because it's not a movie. Like the, the movie Artemis Fowl was, had nothing that actually counted as a movie. It was so weird. I can't even imagine watching that movie and having not read those books because I think you, you barely, as someone who read the books, I was like, I barely know what's going on. And like, if you don't even have the grounding of the books, like, I think your reaction throughout that entire movie would just be like, what, what, like, what is happening? Who are these people? There are no rules to this universe. I don't understand. Like, oh my God. I think what I got like a 9% of Rotten Tomatoes, like that's too, that's being generous. If you ask me. (laughs) 
I did. I did also watch the Sea of Monsters though, because like you, I've I've read just the first two. I think it was like at the time when the books were at their we were height. aging out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I still was getting them from the library or whatever, so I couldn't get them in order because the third one was like sold out or whatever and i kind of aged out by the time that they were available or whatever so i only saw the first two and i really liked that first movie um maybe just from a nostalgia perspective like it's not a particularly good movie but i really like logan lerman i wish he was in better things um the second one yeah wasn't wasn't great but i still like there was just a part of it where i was like like you said i like watching things about greek mythology like it doesn't even have to be good things. The fact that it's Greek mythology, I just find it so fascinating. Again, it's comforting to kind of just be like in the same way that as much as we're shitting on, you know, kind of adaptations of existing IP, there's also the reason why those work and the you know, all those stupid ass movies make billions of dollars is because there's something comforting <laughs> about being like, Oh, I know I know where we're going with this. Like I recognize this trope or this thing, yeah. you know. It's like it's nice to feel in the in the loop you know <laughs> um, yeah well it was like so freshman year of high school we did a whole greek mythology unit and we read the odyssey and stuff and there are discrete parts or, or specific parts from the odyssey that are in sea of monsters and the lightning thief there's you know charybdis is a character in the sea of monsters and it's not a particularly good movie it's not a particularly great scene but seeing the the charybdis come out of the sea i was like i know what that is that's cool. I like watching that. So I just wish that those movies did better or were better. And I know they're making it into a Netflix show. So I'm hoping that's better. But I really like that property. So I'm really hoping that it it sticks around. <laughs> I do. Although those movies, actually both those movies and Artemis Fowl uh, are one of my favorite things where you're like, what boat? did Pierce Brosnan buy with like his lightning thief check, you know, like they yeah. put these like well-established actors in these shitty CGI movies where they couldn't, it couldn't matter less that they're in it. And you're like, you Dame Judy Dench. I can't believe she was in that movie like that. Uh, again, we'll, this is now just going to be the Artemis Fowl part two, but like, <laughs> you know, strike it from the record. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, geez. Um, all right, I'll uh, I'll move on to the movie that I I want to talk about that I saw recently. It was um, Goodfellas. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hey, mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. I know I. By the time I grew up, there was thirty billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. Believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm a construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg or the wing? So this is the classic mobster movie. I've never seen it. You've never seen it? Yeah. I'm a little bit of a... I, I haven't seen as much Martin Scorsese as... I should. To be fair, he has a lot of movies, like so many movies. Every now and then I'll just be, you know, on Twitter or whatever. And somebody will say a new movie that's directed by Martin Scorsese. And I was like, I've never heard of that movie. I can't believe he also directed that. The Departed is one of my favorite movies of all time. But but I haven't I haven't then parlayed that into, you know, filling the back catalog. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah. So like I said, I've been watching a lot of the classic movies that I should have seen already. And Goodfellas is one of them that I just hadn't seen for a long time. This is a movie that people say is like one of the best movies ever made. I don't know. No, it's uh, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. I mix up Goodfellas, Scarface, The Godfather, (laughs) all of those different ones. They're kind of all one movie in my head. Yeah, (laughs) I, I liked The Godfather a lot more than I liked Goodfellas. I don't know if that's like, well, no shit or not. But, um, you know, I do think this is a really good movie. I think one of the problems I had with it is that it has the Wolf of Wall Street syndrome, or I guess like Wolf of Wall Street has the Goodfellas syndrome. That movie was terrible, so you really could be going anywhere, but go on. Okay. Well, so in the Wolf of Wall Street, there's like this overindulgence, right? And the point is to point out how ridiculous being overindulgent and how shitty of a person Jordan Belford is. But there's like a disconnect that because you're showing so much indulgence, it does kind of glamorized it yeah it's like people who think the point of the great gatsby is like how what a cool rich guy he is yeah (laughs) who have the rules of fight club listed on their dorm wall like that's not the point of that movie the point of that movie is that capitalism and uh, whatever is bad but like so this movie has a very similar problem is that it's really overindulgent in its violence and there's like a lot of glorification of mobs and the mafia and the main character Ray Liotta is like all my life I've wanted to be a mobster and through the character's journey you do see that that is ultimately a stupid thing to want um, and like he eventually ends up regretting it not to spoil it but like I don't think that many that there are probably a lot of people that are like oh this movie's sick those people are sick that's cool um, and so it's just a little hard for me to really love those types of movies because I don't trust that people the audience you're like i'm better yeah. than them yeah <laughs> i mean no because like I, no you know, I, I feel the same way i know what you mean yeah. yeah i mean there are parts where i'm like oh that's cool and then i do have to remind myself that like no wait this is actually really messed up and i think the reason of that is because like with a movie you are allowed to be like oh those things are cool and there is so much of movie culture that's Indiana Jones kills a lot of people. We don't sit there and think about the repercussions of the fact that he probably killed somebody's father. We are watching it and it's it's just cool and stuff. So when a movie does ask you to take a step back and be like, think about act this actually, it's a little hard to do. And when that's the purpose of the movie like this, it's it's a little hard for me to fully embrace it. But like definitely a good movie. I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, it's not anywhere, which sucks. I had to rent it which is stupid, uh, but yeah, I've been due to the lack of new movies coming out. I I'm the worst about just defaulting to seeing things that I've seen before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in particular, uh, I have <laughs> in the year, in the last year, I have probably watched knives out five times <laughs> because <laughs> I'll literally like make such a good faith effort to like, be like all right i'm gonna watch a movie like i have all these movies that i haven't seen that i've been dying to you know see and like and now i have nothing but time to you know take care of them and then i'll like somehow do like you know five minutes of half-ass scrolling through the on-demand menu and be like you know what i'm just gonna watch knives out again <laughs> Isn't it, i mean don't you think it's kind of weird that all the movies that like we've been dying to see and the ones that we are like must catch up with why are they all three hours 
Like every movie that you want to see that you've been dying to see. This is, is a, three hours a major pet peeve of mine in general um, is that just like every movie released in the last, you know, 10 years isn't half an hour too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I want there i i feel like no movie should ever be more than two hours long i think two hours is a great length for a movie um and is more movie than you need for a lot of them um and so like when these enormous overstuffed movies come out it's like frankly i think it it does you know and there are good there are good long movies you know the godfather you know (laughs) but i do think that part of being time constrained does is it forces you to sort of be economical with your storytelling and to, you know, to kind of not leave something in just because the, you know, the director liked how the light looked on that one shot, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that that, um, you know, uh, as somebody who uh, has a very small bladder and who has to pee a lot during movies, um, <laughs> uh, that uh, that has been a big struggle for me uh, in, in movies of recent <laughs> There's a Rick and Morty episode where uh, Rick is like subdued by this drug or whatever that makes him drunk and complacent or whatever. And he says something like, I just want so-and-so and and a 90-minute cut of Avatar. And (laughs) I have never related to a line in that movie more. Like a 90-minute cut of Avatar would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, although that is, I think, one thing that I find myself doing, which is the – I've watched – half of infinity war so many times because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, i really like that movie but i don't necessarily always want to commit to that whole movie um, do you like fast forward a lot or do you just watch like the first half um i watch the first half of a lot of movies um yeah. which is honestly a bad habit of mine um sometimes with with that movie there are so many because i'm not We've talked about this before, but like I'm a very casual Marvel fan where like all of the little I haven't seen all whatever, 25 movies and like all of the little nods like I liked Infinity War significantly more than Endgame. And that's a whole other (laughs) um, that we can do an entire podcast about that. Um, (laughs) um, But I will say I have been again, as a fan of this podcast, I, I feel like I've been trying to get more into Marvel because I've enjoyed your coverage of the MCU. So oh, thank credit you. to you on that. Um, but, uh, Look at that. Saving the world one one person at a time. We really to get need the- to get the word out about these Marvel movies. Yeah. People don't know about them. I'm really uh, championing, championing, championing. Wow. I'm really yeah. championing. I can't say that word. I'm supporting Marvel movies. Yeah, and as and as someone who, as we've talked about extensively in the past, is a huge James Bond and Star Wars fan, having seen all of those movies so many times makes it all the easier to just be like, I'm going to watch an hour of Quantum of Solace because I yeah. like it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really hope that the the new James Bond movie eventually does come out. And I also really hope that Black Widow comes out and that we can go to movies soon and we'll have new movies. Um, Justice for Tenet. <laughs> we're now rewatching The Godfather and Goodfellas, I guess. Something. So. Oh, um, Antebellum, that uh, Jordan Peele, Janelle Monet movie is coming out on mm-hmm. streaming. Uh, that's but that's been really interesting to see that these movies that, that clearly were designed to be these, you know, multi hundred yeah. million dollar blockbuster movies. Now that this has gone on as long as I have, have been coming out on streaming and I don't know 
by any means, I don't know the economics behind that, but it's it's very interesting to see that yeah. happening. Mulan will be a really interesting case study to see how that works. Because they're putting that on streaming. Plus. Yeah, so it's thirty bucks in addition to a Disney Plus membership, which is kind of dumb. But like, yeah. I, I guess it makes I just sense. feel like some. I mean, you know, some movies. You're like, you know, as a, as a big fan of rom coms, like you can watch a rom com on your, you know. 13-inch MacBook. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a lot of these movies, you know, I I want to... I've watched all of the Jordan Peele movies in the Coolidge Corner theater. And oh, really? I, I want to um, maintain, you know, I, there, there are certain movies that you should want to watch them in theaters. Um, and as much as streaming is great for accessibility and not getting viruses, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there there's... I, I do really miss that is one of the big things I miss is sort of the, the movie going yeah, experience. Sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's not too much longer, but I've got a feeling it might be. So with that depressing ending, we'll go ahead <laughs> and wrap up the episode. Watch Raiders in the Lost Ark. It'll make you remember all the good things about movies. <laughs> a better time, you know, when there were Nazis. So this has been our review of oh, Raiders of when? the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah. When. Um, David, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here? Um, listen to Run Your Mouth. Uh, we've put out a couple of remote recorded episodes in quarantine. We are not nearly as regular as as Monty is, but um, it's a fun it's a fun podcast. And you know, wear a mask, stay safe, stay six feet apart from people. Don't be mad at runners. We're just out here doing our best. <laughs> so awful too it's so hot I, I hate running in the summer but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> now you can come out and run your mouth and we can talk about that <laughs> yeah let me just vent about it for an hour <laughs> that's what half of our podcast end up being <laughs> uh where can where can they find run your mouth uh it is uh at run your mouth pod on instagram run your mouth pod.com um and we're on facebook as well i think also run your mouth pod all right I will provide the links to that as always in the show notes. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on our website, uh, evergreenpodcast.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when James from Munson's at the Movies joins me to review the new Netflix film, Project Power. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Life sucks as a grown-up. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> no. Right.